Coming up in this episode, Randy and I are going to talk about some of the most influential motorcycle engines ever made. And you might be surprised at some of our picks. So stick around. Ladies and gentlemen, may I direct your attention to something quite extraordinary, quite incredible, quite unlike anything you may have experienced in your life. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, what are the best places to ride in America? The Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. Okay, y'all know that I'm an old geezer, so my references may not always hit home, but there used to be a TV show called Then Came Bronson. It's a great show. It's about a guy who rides his motorcycle all across America searching for the meaning of life, and its theme song was called The Long Lonesome Highway. Well, I kind of like getting out on the Long Ozarks Highway, and you should too. But before you head out on the Ozark Highways, you should make sure that your ride is ready. That's where the service and repair pros at Heartland Honda in Springdale, Arkansas can help you do that. Whether it's your recreational on-road or off-road vehicle, and when it's time for something new or pre-owned, Heartland Honda can fix you up. Check them out online at heartlandhonda.com or give them a call at 479-751-7022. Heartland Honda. Work hard, play hard. Do you love getting your kicks on historic Route 66? Then take a ride through time on America's iconic highway in Pulaski County, Missouri. With more than 50 stops, this 33-mile stretch of historic Route 66 is filled with beautiful scenery, delicious throwback diners, and made-from-scratch meals, and plenty of historic sites that are worth stopping at to stretch your legs. Some of those highlights along the Mother Road include Hooker Cut, once rumored to be the deepest cut road in America, the limestone walls are truly impressive. Also, Devil's Elbow, once known as one of the seven wonders of Missouri and home to the famous Devil's Elbow Bridge. Frog Rock, which a local tattoo artist so graciously painted. Three impressive waterways including the Big Piney, the Gasconade Rivers, and the Robidoux Creek. And all the drive takes about an hour and a half, but you'll want to give yourself a little extra time because after all, part of the fun is stopping and visiting with the locals. Access turn-by-turn directions at visitpulaskicounty.org to find even more impressive stops. Okay, I've got a serious question for you. Have you ever been injured in a motorcycle accident? Well, hopefully the answer is no. But should an accident happen, you need to contact the legal team whose members are both experienced motorcycle riders and aggressive trial lawyers. The Schmidt Law Firm in Kansas City. Their motorcycle accident lawyers fight on behalf of injured riders like you to get you and your family the compensation that you deserve. They have a great website that can help you answer a lot of your questions. So go to KansasCityLawyers.com and put their number in your phone. 816-400-1000. Schmidt Law Firm. Motorcycle lawyers helping riders find answers. Well, welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road, starting out the new year, 2023, with my friend Randy Lewis from Bikeworks in Urbana, Missouri. 
Hello, young squire. Don't you ever call me that ever again. Your friend? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it kind of made my stomach turn a little bit. <laughs> I am friend to none. <laughs> so, going to start out the new year with a great uh, perspective of yeah. upcoming things. Yeah. First off, I just got to say thank you very much because now we've upgraded from just a bottle or two to a cardboard six-packer box. Yeah. It just happens to be the most of them are missing. <laughs> we call that becoming an alcoholic. No, no. A beer meister. There you go. Let's let's church it up, beer dirt. <laughs> beer, beer meister. Well, I thought there would be a good uh, topic of discussion uh, this first uh, podcast of the year to talk about some of the most influential motorcycle engines yeah. ever to come down the pike. And we can't do like a top 10 list or anything like that because that's really all, you know. It's perspective. It's perspective. Yeah. And there's yeah. always going to be somebody out there says, you're crazy. Yeah. The Royal Enfield is the best. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I thought we would start, get right into it and start out with the most influential motorcycle engine ever made. And I'm going to throw a, a throw a something in the hat. Yeah. Let's hear yeah, it. This, the Honda single overhead cam CB750. Yeah, man. Yeah, Four you know, cylinder, the most influential motorcycle engine ever made. Obviously that's. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You know, man, I tell you what, I've been telling people for years, obviously I'm a I'm pro Harley guy. You most of the time see me on V-Twins, but that has got to be one of my favorite engines of all time. And now it's the precursor to the dual overhead cam. Well, everybody sees these motorcycles running around that they absolutely hate, unless you're into obviously this style, but the sport bikes, the crotch rockets, the go fast bikes, the twisty bikes, whatever you want to call them. That, in my opinion, that's where it all started. They're all the children of this bike, of yes. this engine. Yeah, I, I really honestly believe that. Now, they had inline twin cylinders and shit like that before that inline four came out. But let's talk about this for a second. In the single overhead cam, Honda CB750. Now, granted, they made like 550s and smaller ones, but that 750 is really what done it. Because truthfully, in today's day, like... Most people riding sport bikes, unless you've got some money and some nuts to ride a leader bike, 1,000 cc plus, most of them are 600, 750 cc's. Right. You know, think about the CBR, the Jixer, the but you don't Ninja. Re- you don't remember this because you're too young, but back in my days when these bikes came out, the mm-hmm. CB750, that was a huge engine. Yeah. Huge bike. Yeah. yeah. Heavy mother trucker too, yeah. truthfully. But they started this craze of the sport bikes where you really get on them and pull a lot of RPMs. So so they make a lot more horsepower than torque. Well, and to make good power and to be very rideable, you got to turn a lot of RPMs. You're talking about a single overhead cam from the 60s and 70s. A whopping 68 horsepower rated. Yes, (laughs) yes. But you got it's all perspective. In the day... That was big business. Yeah, they were also turning like 9,000, 10,000. I think they were like 9,000 RPM engines. Yeah, something like that. That's a lot of RPM. So you talk about Indian, Vic, Harley, all that bullshit. You're talking about redlining 4,500, 5 grand, 5,500 sometimes. Like that's where they redline at. These sons of bucks were just starting to make power in that power range. Right, right. So very impressive, honestly. I really, you know, the engineering it takes to make that... um, Granted, like I said, you know, I ride a lot of big twins, V-twins, stuff like that. But these bikes are engineering marvels, truthfully. To well, they get, are. 
And like I said, they're the granddaddy of everything thereafter. Right. Think about all the biggest racing events. They're on these style of motorcycles. Exactly. You know, the historic ones, Isle of Man, all the TT racing, stuff like that. Like they're on an inline four sport bike. So big hats off. I have to say you're a hundred percent right. Like it's, Can it's never hear that got it. It's got to be at the top. Exactly. All right. Your turn. All right. Uh, obviously I'm going to plug Harley here. Naturally. Shut your Even face. After Shut last, your face. Last episode. Yeah. So anyway, most people are going to be like, oh, all their, their peace shooters, their singles that, you know, that's what started all for them. Yeah, that's great. And then everybody goes to, oh, the knucklehead greatest engine ever made. It's so cool. I do like a knucklehead. Yeah, but that's a pretty bold statement. Greatest engine ever made. Yeah, they're neat. Yeah. They're lackluster for power. They're lackluster for a lot of things, but they are cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you were to ask me, you know, money wise, yeah, I'll take a knucklehead. But aesthetically and what I like, I like a panhead better than a knucklehead. But that's all irrelevant to what I'm getting ready to say. Because the topic of the discussion is most influential Yes, yes. So we, I personally have to give it up to the Evo motor. Single cam, nose cone, um, evolution style engine. Harley ran that, and you guys can bust my balls on it, say whatever the frick you want. I want to say Harley ran that from like 1982 or 83 all the way to 98, 99, something like that in some of their models. That's a huge time span, truthfully. When you talk about being on the cuffs of re-engineering and redesigning and hardly just getting the, the motor company back from AMF, like that's a big time span. The reason why I say it's the most influential Harley engine ever made is what are they running now? Their M8s are single cam. Obviously, they got more valves in the head because it's just better performance wise. And they're making the most power they've ever made on a stock engine with this single cam design. Well, in my opinion, it goes back to the Evo style. Now let's think about aftermarket. All those choppers you saw through the 90s, through the early 2000s, all the aftermarket custom engines you see being produced now, the majority of it, Evo platform. That Evolution engine absolutely made such an impact on the aftermarket world, the stock world, everything that you can't deny it's got to be the most influential Harley engine ever made. I I think that's a fair statement. Well, another engine I think that, and I'm going back to Honda here, throwing this out there because I feel like you're going to throw it out first if I don't get to it. (laughs) Hang on one second. Got to get that other drink in. Yeah, pop the top. 1958, Honda came out with their glorious C90 engine. It's the engine that (laughs) was in the CT90 Trail 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've had it in a couple of other production bikes. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest engines ever built. Had a whopping, brace yourself, <laughs> seven horsepower. You know, it's funny. You, you th- but I've had CT90s, those Trail 90 bikes. Those bikes would go anywhere. Shit, you'd wear that thing like a cheap thong. Well, now, <laughs> that's what I learned to ride on is one of those bikes. And they had gearing in them that was set up in such a way they would go almost up mm-hmm. the side of a wall. Mm-hmm. So that's what most of their Honda stuff is. You know, it's 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 done through the gearbox. They're not making all the power in the world. They didn't need it. But they're reliable. Very oh, yeah. reliable. I'll tell you what's funny about that is if you really want to talk about it, 
that CT90, CT70s, that little engine design, that's the most cloned engine out there, I believe. Exactly. You know, all the cheap-ass Chinese people, they cloned that engine. You know, if you ever look up parts, it's Honda clone this, Honda clone that. You know, so it's got to be up there. I would never expect to be in-depth talking about a freaking 90cc engine. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you hit it. You got to be right. Like it's cloned. It's used in a lot of platforms. It's used in a lot of rock kids solid bikes. reliability. Yeah, you could go out to uh, and find an old uh, late fifties, early sixties model C ninety engine, providing it had even the slightest bit care taking care of it. You know, yeah. Today, yeah. Change the oil plugs, put some fresh gas in it. It'll pop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was designed to run <laughs> for exactly. sure. Exactly. For sure. Well, throw something out there. Okay. So there's an engine that I hate working on. I hate doing anything with it, but it has changed the game in so many avenues for so long that you have to mention it. And it's the boxer engine, the horizontal four, the horizontal six, BMW, Goldwing, Honda, all the Honda. Just that style that not necessarily a, Specific yeah. engine. So BMW ran it as well. Obviously, they ran it from 50s, 60s, that horizontal engine. You know, it's been in a gold wing for as long as I can remember. You know, that's the only engine you could have ever got out of it. You know, they did different variations with Honda did different variations with their frame and their bodywork design, but they kept that same engine. Um, very reliable. Very, I mean, it really does make good power. If you've ever had a late 80s gold wing, Stripped all the way down to like a cafe racer. Those mother truckers are quick, you know, and BMW's running them. They just, they make so much usable, smooth, reliable power. It's hard to deny it. Now that boxer engine was done in motorcycles, cars, equipment. Like that engine was outside of even just motorcycles. It was a huge development and a huge influence on just the world itself with internal combustion engines. You can't deny that it's got to be in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, going to stick with uh, Japanese production bikes. Okay. Um, what do you think about the Kawasaki Z1 engines? Dual from, overhead cam, the 900 from 1973. Yeah. Without a whopping 82 horsepower, the Kawasaki uh, Z900. Yeah. Hell, why, why even do that? Why not go to a ZX1000? Like the old Z1Rs and stuff from the late 70s, early 80s. We're talking about the original, though. Yeah. Don't get yeah. off topic. I mean, they made they made a Z650, too. I mean, they made a smaller one. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I agree with you as far as that goes. They made an engine design, an engine platform that went all the way from small to large. So the design itself, hell yeah. I tell you what, here's one we don't think about very much. It annoys the shit out of most people, but you can't deny not even just one specific engine, but two-stroke family. Oh, I'm I'm getting to that's my next choice. Think about that. Like, they've been running two-strokes since, shit, I don't even know when. And they're still producing two-strokes. So, they produced them in, obviously. Who produces a two-stroke nowadays? Well, it's in dirt bikes. But, you know, almost all the big three anymore. I know the EPA kind of tried putting the kibosh on them here so a few years back or something like that. And a lot of people stopped producing them. But shit, the two-stroke engine with 
it's basic. It's a basic design. I mean, it's very elementary as far as that goes, but it's tried true. It's yes, you have to rebuild them from time to time just because of its genetic makeup. But you're seeing them in. We saw them in motorcycles in the fifties, sixties, seventies, right? Maybe not mm-hmm. the fifties, but sixties and seventies. Shit, they had inline threes. That was my next choice. Yeah, like the Kawasaki H1 that the you Kawasaki love so much. The Kawasaki H1, the first one, the 500. I believe Suzuki made an inline three two-stroke bike. So Honda's been making two-stroke bikes, or dirt bikes rather, which if you talk about motorcycling, you can't exclude dirt bikes because where did no. we all start? We're going to get there, yeah. The majority of us started on dirt bikes and small bikes like that. So you can't really exclude them from the conversation because it's not entirely street-driven, but the two-stroke engine... F around, I, I prefer, man. I love a two-stroke engine. Hell yeah, man. Nothing gets me more excited than hearing the wing, ding, 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 uh, ding, ding. I thought you were talking about just this, the stroke. All Nothing right. gets you excited about stroking. Couldn't get through one, could we? <laughs> I had high hopes. had high hopes. So let's circle back around and talk about the right, H1 Jinsaki. 500. All right, all right. Let's. You know what? They're they're making an eight. They you make start an H one now. Names like Jen Saki. <laughs> you, you'll never see another beverage from me it again. It was the circle back comment that got me. Uh, I know. So let's talk about that H one, two stroke uh-huh. triple. It was the predecessor to their seven fifty, and I had a H one seven fifty. Damn. Uh, I wish you. I bet you wish you had that one again. Oh man. Have I'd you seen the values on those? I have one of those. But I'm not using it anyway, so I might as well just <laughs> give it away. <laughs> give it away and give me a new bike. Yeah, I give my nut away all the time. <laughs> now, those triple engines were dangerous. The yeah, torque. Man. Yeah. The torque. I mean, they didn't have a huge amount of horsepower. I think the 500 had like 60 horsepower. I don't recall what the 750 was. But if you didn't know what you were doing on those particular bikes and you crack that throttle, it'll throw you off. That's the thing about them. They didn't make a ton of power, but they hit like a freaking sledgehammer. Yeah. You know, it's... Zero to 60 right now. Exactly. Big RPMs, wide power range, and when it comes on, it comes on in a hurry. You know, it's... This is something I I do have to address this. It freaking absolutely cracks me up. Is that when people talk about two strokes, they talk about the power band. Yeah. Like it is a physical band built into your engine or onto something that you can just change out. Yeah. It's it's not a physical piece that you change out. I mean, it's the RPM, it's the power band, the the range that it makes a lot of power in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're referring to as the power band. So it cracks me up when everybody's like, oh yeah, man, I twisted the throttle and it hit the power band and that band just snapped like crazy and it took off. And I'm like, no. F what you heard. Well, now now <laughs> yeah. you know you're talking to a bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay. Yeah, where'd you get that power band at? <laughs> you know, there's a guy that has created quite a following on YouTube who takes these H1 triple engines uh-huh. and turns them into four cylinders. Holy shit. And does a fine job. They look like they come from the factory. Yeah. They run like screaming banjis. That's crazy. Yeah. You can go on YouTube and watch his videos on exactly step by step how he does it. Wow. Cutting them down, cutting them in half. and I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, you're adding, you have to add to the crankshaft to get another cylinder. The whole ball of works. Highly recommended. Look, uh, I guess all you'd have to do is look up on YouTube, uh, H1 four-cylinder engines. I forget the guy's name, and I'm not going to take the time to look it up I'm right watch now. Watch it. Yeah. You talk about the H1 and how 
crazy it was for its time, which a lot of manufacturers right now are trying to get back into the old stuff, like paint schemes, calling certain things. Nostalgia. Yeah. Kawasaki's making a new H1. It's a freaking powerhouse. It's like, a four-cylinder, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not. I mean, a, and it's it's, and it's, it's not a two-stroke. Yeah, it's it's not a two-stroke. But you know, just to say that they use the moniker. Yeah, that the H1 was nothing, but it had to have been something because they're bringing it back. They're making an H1 now, and it's it's big claim to fame is holy shit! It's fast. It makes power. Well, that's because the first generation made a lot of power and was fast and. Well, it just stuck with people. So, well, the reason they stopped building those was because of the EPA yeah, shut them down. Yeah, uh, they were horrible, horrible bikes. If you're looking at it from <laughs> the perspective of, you know, the, shit, they can e- kill the a mosquito ecology. though. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I take one of those right now, put some expansion chambers on it, and yeah, and hope I didn't die. Yeah, if you can just change it and build a badass tuned exhaust for it i mean the sky's the limit on what they could produce all right sticking with the theme of two cycle engines uh-huh and you were talking earlier about dirt bikes do you have any ring-a-ding dirt bike engines that you like oh man shit that that's kind of there are so many of them it's like you know you can close your eyes and put your hand in the hat and pull one out yeah so you know, I can't. I can't really speak to the old ones. I truthfully, I haven't owned a whole lot of old two. Well, let me throw engines. one out for you: single cylinder, two cycle, the Honda Elsinore one twenty five. Oh yeah, I mean for sure. Look uh, at what and the, which spawned the two fifty and and so on. I mean, you'd have to have a large bank account to get a hold of one of those bikes nowadays in any kind of good condition. Uh, relative term. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very expensive for what you're thinking about, what you're buying, you know, but it's really not that bad expensive. I mean, they're a 125. They the two-cycle dirt bike craze, craze of the yeah. 70s. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it, it's, it's very popular. You watch what it does now in value for a good restored or unrestored Elsinore, like, they're freaking crazy sky high for what they per, what All they started I need is out a week, at. one week and a time machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all I need. So you talk about dirt bikes and two stroke engines. Um, I tend to venture and find myself really particularly liking the 250, um, particularly the Yamaha 252 stroke and the Suzuki RM 250. Like those, mm-hmm. When I buy dirt bikes and ride dirt bikes and stuff, like that's kind of where I venture to for whatever reason. I just really, really like the amount of power that they made. I like the frame size. I like I like everything about those two particular motorcycles. Um, now, I own a smaller CC100 two-stroke Kawasaki, um, and the reason why I have it is my kids are getting to the age where that's the size of bikes that they're riding right now. And I've had numerous, you know, 250 Yamahas and 250 Suzukis and... I always find myself really, really enjoying those. Okay, another one of my favorite bikes is uh, from the 50s, 40s, late 40s, mid 50s, was the uh, Vincent Black Shadow. Yeah. I'm going to pull that engine because as far as one of the most influential is, at, at the time, in its day, guaranteed in riding, the fastest motorcycle, bar none, period. Full yeah. stop. We're talking about from the factory. We're not talking yeah, about one that's you, you can't used argue up. that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's I think a 998 it, twin cylinder. Mm-hmm. While it only had 55 horsepower, they guaranteed the bike out of the out of the production at 125 miles an hour. 
may not sound like really fast nowadays, but back then... Yeah, 125 was crazy. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, for sure. Very few people had the nuts take a yeah. motorcycle... And go 125. 125. Shit, think about Particularly it. Particularly on something like a Black Shadow. <laughs> think a little sketchy. This is what gets me is like, all right, so you can go 125 in the 50s, right? Think about brake material in the in the 50s. Yeah. And tire material in the 50s. Like, that shit was way behind this the curve for what case. they were trying to do. This is a classic case of you can... But should you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the engine could do it, but can everything else do it yeah. at the time? You're talking about bias ply tires and shit and asbestos brakes. Like it's proven to not be the most effective and beneficial for high speeds. So that's what cracks me up about it is, yeah, back then, like engineering was just going so far so fast that not everything was caught up at the times. So I mean, hats off to those dudes that were pushing those bikes back then because it's completely different from where we are now with ceramic and center pads and radial tires and Z-rated tires. Safety is somewhat of a concern. Yeah. (laughs) I tell you what. Okay, so you talk about that, and I I actually had to look this up. I find myself a bit of a – I really love history, and I really like stupid, odd facts – so we were talking about this, and when you first said this to me, and you know we had to talk about inline fours. So check this, and I came across this. So this is what's nuts. We talk about inline fours and where they started, and we immediately gravitate to the 60s, right? 60s, 70s, 60s. Where, they, where they're really getting relevant. Now, granted, I know Henderson and Indian and stuff had a, a lateral, not lateral, but inline four that went front to back, right? Right. Okay. So check this little nugget that I found. So the first inline four produced in 1899. I mean, that's on the cuffs of, you talk about Indian and Harley. They didn't start really, they didn't become a company. Harley didn't become a company until 1903, right? So 1899, they get a British guy, Sir Henley, I think Henry Capel, built the world's first inline four. So then you go to somewhere around... 1904, a Belgian company made one. They ran 1,800 RPMs, good for 35 miles an hour, right? So they're starting to get somewhere. So then you you fast forward, Henderson's, all that stuff come out. 1935, this, this is the part that really, really impressed me because we talk about like today's day bikes were pro-charging, turbocharging bikes. And, you know, a lot of people are thinking about, oh my God, this shit's never been done. Bullshit. You know, I know in the, know for a fact, in like, I think it was the seventies, they had an inline four turbo pack bike. I think it was, it may have been Yamaha or Kawasaki, something like that. It was, it was one of those inline fours. So 1935, water cooled, supercharged, dual overhead cam, four cylinder engine made by an Italian firm, Rondine. So that bike went, it produced 60 horsepower and 8,500 RPM in 1935, 8,500 RPM. That's absolutely nuts considering what was being produced was like two, 3,000 RPMs, shit like that. Like it's, it's just insane to me. See, so now then I've learned something new every day. I've never knew that existed back in those times. Honestly, I didn't either until you kind of hit me up and I was like, oh yeah, you know, well the inline four. And then I was like, wait a minute, when was the first inline four produced and bullshit like that? So in 1937, Galera, 
made a, had a speed record at 170 miles an hour. In 1937. Yes, 1937 on two wheels, on two wheels in line four. Okay. And I think, let me, let me look at this again, but I want to say that that engine was without the supercharger when he did it. He ran Isle of Man TT, had a, a lap speed of like 101 miles an hour. 1937. That's crazy. Yes. You're Keep in mind and remember, circle back a little bit. It's not the engine. It's the thing around the engine, the brakes, the tires, everything <laughs> yes. that are the sketchy part. Yeah. 1937, dude's doing 170 miles an hour. You t- Fast forward to today's times, like the Jixxer 650s and like all those 600cc engines. Right. You know, they're mile per houring out, limited out, somewhere around that same mark. Like 1937, dude's running laps and has a land speed record at 170 miles an hour. I mean, that to me is just absolutely insane and when i think about inline fours i think japanese inline fours this is an italian dude this is an italian company making this in 1937 then you go to somewhere in the 60s and honda starts coming out with their 125s 250s that are pulling high rpms like for those bikes it's not numerical values horsepower and torque like we traditionally think of or i do with big twins it's rpms I mean, these things are pushing today. I mean, they're they're pushing 16,000 RPMs. Like that to me is absolutely insane. It is turn anything that fast and then see where it, it's got to hold together. So engineering is making these motorcycles to produce lower than you would expect horsepower numbers and even lower torque numbers, but the RPMs are through the freaking roof, man. And that's that to me is what is super super cool about the it. engineering of the day. It just amazes me. Yeah, nineteen thirty seven. Think about the machining that we have now, and then the machining that they had then. Yeah, there were no computers to you know fix no, it. No, hell no. You couldn't you couldn't cat a damn thing out prehand and and look at it before and make sure everything's going to work together. Like these are guys with genius minds for what they're doing, making these things. I mean. Think about it. 1934, 35, 36, 37, water-cooled. Harley's just now really producing water-cooled anything. Supercharged. Who the hell knew what a supercharger was at that point in time? Who in their right mind thought, let's compound and boost air into the engine to make more power with a a very rudimentary design? You know what I mean? And by the way, let's take this experimental deal, put it on two wheels. Yeah, yeah. That's and, the thing to do. And add another camshaft to the design, an overhead camshaft at that. Like, overhead camshafts weren't even really relevant, and we didn't think shit about it until the 60s and 70s when Honda, all the Japanese companies, started doing overhead cams. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah it's just... It's just absolutely insane. Like at the it same, buggers the imagination. Yeah, at the same time, Harley's producing the revolutionary overhead valve. Overhead valve, yeah. Well, today that's all you think of is overhead valves and stuff like that. But they're freaking overhead cams at that time. Like that to me is just like exploding my mind. It's crazy. Well, that gives you something to think about over the weekend or over the week mm-hmm. uh, about uh, some of the most influential engines in motorcycle history what are some of the ones that you think ought to have been on the list drop us a line let us know we'd be curious of what your thoughts are historians and people that know way more than we do are probably going to listen to this and be like these guys are freaking idiots i don't think there are any historians (laughs) listening to this so it's all good i'll I'll tell you i'm usually the dumbest guy in the room (laughs) no disagreement there 
<laughs> Anyways, it was a pretty interesting uh, topic of discussion, at least for me anyway. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, we sure would appreciate it if you pony over to the Patreon page. Uh, you can find it at ozarkrides.com, and any uh, link there will take you to our Patreon page. Or you can just go straight to patreon.com forward slash ozarkrides and uh, help the podcast out. We sure would appreciate it. So until next time, we hope that you stay on two wheels and always stay safe.